Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Standing by to help you take on your home improvement projects in the new year. Call us and help yourself first at 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. We've got a big show planned for you. Lots of great information coming up. Lots of tips, advice, suggestions on projects that you can do this year to save money, save time, to improve the look and the feel and the comfort of your home. But call us right now and let us get started at 888-666-3974. Coming up this hour, did you know that two-thirds of American families have no plan for a fire emergency? You might be thinking, though, it can't happen to you, but it can. And the best way to survive it is to have that escape plan. So we're going to have tips on how to do just that coming up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to say you got to practice your plan, too. And also ahead, we've got tips on keeping your children safe from a different kind of threat, identity theft. Now, identity thieves are targeting kids. And for one reason, it could take decades to discover because really, you're not running a credit check on a child. And then when they are grown up and you go to, you find out a whole bunch of stuff. So we're going to have some prevention tips later this hour. And also... Also ahead, there's probably at least a gift or two that you appreciate, but perhaps would rather return instead. So we're going to make the inevitable a little less stressful with some advice on hassle-free gift returns. And if all of those holiday guests that came for a visit have left your home a mess, we've got a prize for you this hour. We're giving away a $50 prize pack from Greased Lightning, and it includes supplies and even the right gear that you can wear while you're doing your cleaning. Going out to one caller that reaches us, we'll draw at random at the end of the show, to one money pit 888-666-3974. Let's get right to those phones. Leslie, who's first? Debbie in Texas is on the line and is dealing with a basement project. Tell us what you're working on. Well, I have a cement floor that right now has indoor-outdoor carpet that's glued down, and I'd like to peel the carpet up and then paint the floor. So my question is, what type of prep, once I get the carpet up, what type of prep do I need to do? And then what type of paint should I use? Now, have you started to try and remove this outdoor carpeting? Yes, we have. And uh, it is glued. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's a glue, I guess, base that's that's on the floor. So we need to somehow scrape that off. Yes. And that, and, and did you say this was a screened-in porch or a covered porch? No, it's an indoor, it's indoors. Oh, it's completely indoors. Okay. Um, that's going to make it a bit of a chore. The reason I was a little excited that you had a lot of fresh air while you were working is because 
you're going to need to use an adhesive remover if your plan is to paint this floor because you're going to end up with so much residue from that glue that's going to be all over. And there's a good chance that it's going to be uneven and raised and spotty in some areas. You're going to have pieces of carpeting on it and it's going to be a mess. So you're going to have to find exactly what type of adhesive that is and what is the best remover for it because depending on what the base is of that adhesive will depend on what type of adhesive remover you use. So it's really going to be an experimentation to sort of see what works well. And then once you find what really is working well at loosening up that adhesive, I mean, you're really just going to have to use like a heavy-duty scraper and, you know, work on that glue residue until that's up. And then even then, your painted surface is going to look really not that great after all of that work. So I guess your recommendation would be go go back with indoor-outdoor carpet. Well, I mean, in a, in a lower-level space, carpeting really isn't the best idea, whether there's padding or not, whether it's glued or not, only because you're dealing with a dust trap that's sitting right on top of a concrete slab that tends to get moist. All of that moisture gets up into that carpeting, whether or not it's indoor-outdoor. Now, that moisture sort of sits with that dust and creates all sorts of allergens and mold and... You know, it's really not the best idea. Tile would work fantastically. And if you got that floor fairly even-ish, even with the adhesive, you could go ahead and do something with that with tile. Um, You know, it depends on what you want the space to look like. If you're okay with seeing an uneven surface and you want to paint over that, then an epoxy coating is perfect for, you know, a floor in that situation. But it depends. You know, I spend a lot of time in my basement, so I wouldn't want to see such an uneven floor surface, whether it was painted my favorite color or not. And what harm would come if I just peeled the carpet and scraped the glue, scraped it smooth, and then painted? Would the paint not stick if there was still old glue there? I mean, I don't think so. The, the, the systems like the epoxy coating systems are usually sold in kits. There's several steps. The first one is an etching or a cleaning step. Then there's your top coat that you mix in with, um, I guess, all, all of the different process that sort of cures it and solidifies it. And some of them have that little decorative speckle, um, you know, and that gets sort of sprinkled in there at the end. And you want to work yourself out of a corner so you don't get trapped down there. But I mean, it should stick fairly well. It just, you know, is this a a utility space that you're strictly storing things in? Is this your family hangout? You know, you have to think about what that space is and how you want it to look. Okay, well, that gives me some ideas. I guess I first need to get the carpet up and see what it looks like underneath and go from there. All right, well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Ray and I was on the line with a flooring question. How can we help you today? My sister-in-law is a realtor, and she deals with a lot of uh, construction people. A few years ago, we wanted to change our hardwood floor in our home, which was about 10 years old, and it was a light wood. We wanted to go to a dark wood, and we picked out, like, a Brazilian hardwood or something like that, and uh, it was, like, about $150 a box. And they delivered the wood to the home, and, well, my sister-in-law set us up with a contractor who wanted her to sell a house for him, and he he was so happy if she would sell the house for him that she would get us uh, an installer to install the hardwood floor for an 
a crazy dollar seventy five a square foot, but um, he wasn't really slapping them together very tightly. And this was like in the spring, in April or May, and he wasn't really hitting the boards in very tightly. He was just giving them a little tap, little tap here. And I asked about that, and he said, well, you have to have room for expansion. Well, I don't think that was correct. And and although we have gaps in the summer, we really have gaps in the winter. Is there any way to repair this without having to tear up the entire floor? Well, not really. I mean, look, if sometimes in a really old floor you get gaps in it, we would tell you to put jute in the space between the gaps. It looks like a burlap kind of cord is what it looks like. Uh And you can put that in between the joints of the floor, and then you can actually finish over top on it. and kind of It it helps to hide those gaps a bit. You can't really fill them. But to close them completely, you would have to take the floor apart and essentially reinstall it. Was this all nailed together, or was this an engineered floor? It was all nailed together, and it, yeah. we ended up having, like, three extra boxes, as I said, $150 a box, and they refused to take it back because it was a one-time order or something like that. Yeah, you know what? Unless it's noisy or, or coming up or something like that, I, I don't think it's a terrible problem to have mm-hmm. those extra gaps. Maybe a bit of a cleaning issue, but you could really chalk it up to charm. And frankly, Ray, you're better off with the hardwood floor than without it, even though you're not 100% satisfied with the way it's come out. Right. Like I said, we got a great deal, but it's uh, unfortunately a couple years down the line, it's not such a great deal. Yeah, sometimes it works out that way. Ray, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Now you can call in your home repair, home improvement, design, decor, whatever you are working on in this new year. We are here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Up next, have you ever received a holiday gift that makes you kind of scratch your head and wonder what the gift giver was thinking? We're going to have some advice on how you can have a hassle-free return next this is jeopardy uh, i'll take a ways to lose money at one thousand this phrase for a house that keeps needing costly repairs is also the name of a home improvement radio show alex what is a money pit good Making good homes better. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. If you do, one caller we talked to this hour is going to win a $50 prize pack from Greased Lightning, which includes a supply of Greased Lightning Super Strength, a great cleaning product you can use on carpets, laundry, and any other grease and grime. Now, the winner's also going to get some cleaning gear to take on any cleaning project. At around 3 bucks a bottle, Grease Lightning is super affordable. You can pretty much find it everywhere at Walmart, Dollar General, other places. But pick up the phone and give us a call for help with your home improvement question, issue, dilemma, whatever you're working on. We're here to give you a hand. We've got the prizes to help you get that job done as well. Give us a call at 888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-39. Now we've got Russell in Texas who's dealing with a door that's just not sitting right. What's going on? Well, we recently uh, had the windows and doors replaced in our house about eight months ago. And up until about two weeks ago, the door uh, locked fine. Now the deadbolt will lock. I mean, it'll go into the side of the door frame, but the doorknob itself won't go in. 
and these were pre-hung doors. And I don't know exactly how to diagnose a problem or even how I would go about fixing it if I was able to figure out what was wrong with it. So it's got increasingly warmer in Texas over the last couple of weeks, right? Uh, yes. And so I think what's happening is we're getting some swelling of the door jams or the door, and that's shifting things just enough to make the door uh, knob not uh, sit properly uh, in the uh, in the strike plate. So this is just a door adjustment. And did you install these doors yourself? Did you have a pro do it? Uh, they were done by a contractor. So, I mean, I think it's reasonable to ask the contractor to come back and adjust the doors because they're swelling now. Um, it is possible to put these doors in so that they work year-round without any adjustments. And so I think it just needs a minor adjustment. shouldn't be a big deal. But I would call the contractor, ask them to come back and fix it. Okay. All right. I'll give them a call. Yeah, nothing to worry about there, Russ. Pretty pretty normal, just needs a bit of adjustment. And and fixing a door or adjusting a door is, is, is complicated if you don't do it every day because it's it's kind of an interesting beast. It it has about six different ways it can move, and if you move in the wrong d- direction, you end up making it worse. So I'd have the pro come back and, and fix it. Okay, I sure will. All right, good luck, Russ. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Well, returning holiday gifts is probably one of the lesser celebrated holiday traditions, right? But you can make the process a little less painful with a few tips. First off, you need to know the retailer's return policy before you leave the house. So call ahead, look online, and make sure you won't be met with an all-sales final or store credit only surprise. Yeah. Now, if you know that your gift just isn't going to work for you, don't even bother opening the package. Leave the tags on. Don't, you know, experiment with it. Take it out. If you don't like it, just know you're going to return it. Now, if your gift was an online purchase, the retailer might actually pick up the tab for that return shipping, or you can take it back to the brick and mortar store if there actually is one. Now is also a good time to check for deals. You know, many of the pre-Christmas specials extend well into the new year. You can also use this opportunity to stock up any holiday items because they're usually on sale for a steal. They don't want to send them back to the manufacturer, right? And certainly don't want to store them. So if you if you need a few decor pieces, another set of string lights or something for the next year, now's the time to pick it up. Now we've got Sakari on the line who's dealing with some mold issues. Tell us what's going on. I have a half basement, half dirt, and the rest is cement. And there's a crack in the brickwork, but it doesn't go all the way through. But it must be enough so you can, it seeps through. We've measured it, and it hasn't moved the crack. But water every once in a while, when it rains really hard, it comes through the wall, and you can see it's all wet. But upstairs, what it's doing is causing, like, the vents to get rusted, and my towel bars are wooden. So I'm constantly, every few months, uh, spraying it with bleach or Tylex to get the mold off and then painting it over with kills that I thought would stop the mold from coming through, but it doesn't. So you got a major moisture problem going on in this house, right? Right. It seems that way, too. And so I was worried about the mold, so I brought that test kit from um, Lowe's that tells you and sent it in, and they analyzed it and said that we weren't in danger of any mold, but... I'm always seeing mold, like on the shower curtain, the dish drains, and everything. Yeah, well, there's different kinds of mold, and the kind of mold that you have on shower curtains and dish drains is something called cladosporium, which is really common household mold, and unless you're super sensitive to it, it generally doesn't cause a threat. But let's talk about the moisture issue, because this is a situation, Sakari, where you need to learn how to better manage 
the moisture that's in your house. Now, I think that the moisture is starting in the basement because obviously you're getting water in that crack when it rains heavily. And the fact that the water is consistent with the rainfall is actually good news because that means that this is a relatively simple problem to fix. You have too much water collecting in the area immediately adjacent to your foundation, that foundation perimeter zone. And so what you need to do is really two things. Number one, I want you to look at your gutters. Do you have gutters on your roof? Yeah, we have gutters, and we keep those pretty cleaned out. We actually even put the um, the, the leaf uh, protectors so that we, they wouldn't over, you know, overflow. And it's fairly new, the gutters. They're, well, I guess they might be like 10 years old, but they're in really good shape. They need to be extended. Well, that's supposed to be like a hose thing under the ground that goes out well, from the house. The fact so. that you said supposedly means you're not really sure, and that's mission critical. You need to be absolutely certain that that water is not leaking out anywhere near that foundation perimeter. If it is, that roof is collecting water and shooting it into your foundation. It's crystal clear to me that you have too much water around your house. How that's happening, I'm not sure. But the number one culprit is usually downspouts. And so if that water is not discharged away from the house, and I'll tell you an easy way that you could check this, that is disconnect the downspouts from the underground pipes and just go add buy uh, three or four pieces of leader material from your local home center. Let it run out over the grass so that the water is away from the house. It won't look good for you know a few weeks, but at least you'll be able to know when it rains, the water is absolutely not getting around the foundation perimeter. And if you discharge that water and you're certain it's not near the foundation and it doesn't show up in the basement, well, now you know the solution to your problem. Somehow in those underground drains, it's, being, it's leaking out and redirecting in, into that foundation area. The second part of that is looking at the grading, making sure that the soil slopes away from the wall. You want it to drop about six inches over four feet. And if it's too flat or if it's too mulchy or there's any kind of uh, landscaping that's retaining water against the house, that's a problem. But I say that in most cases, 80% of this is gutters and downspouts and 20% of it is grading unless you just happen to be at the bottom of a hill. If this was sourced by a rising, by a rising water table, it would not be consistent with rainfall. But the fact that it rains heavy and you get water in the basement, it's got to be associated with water collecting around the foundation. You just need to figure out where and how it's getting there. All right, then. Maybe maybe because we have a lot of trees, maybe some roots did grow and puncture those, um, that downspout that's underneath the ground. So you're saying buy some leader and let that run out and see right. it when it rains right. hard. I got you. I got you. Right out over the top just to test it, just to test the theory and see what happens, okay? And, you know, if, if you wanted to invest the money, you could have a, a drain cleaning service run a camera down those pipes and see where they're actually broken. But... Let's just figure out where it is first and then take it from there. Sakari, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. JC in Missouri is on the line with a water heater issue. Tell us what's going on. Hey, uh, I got a seven year old water heater, and uh, I have to change my heating element every six months, especially especially during the wintertime. It builds up a lot of calcium in it. And I was wondering if you know anything about that or, or a product that I can use to eliminate that problem? Well, if you have mineral salts that are building up a lot, you can use uh, a water softener. Um, there's one that doesn't require any salt, and it's called Easy Water. Okay. And it's an electronic uh, water softener that hooks up to your main water line, and you plug it in, and it basically forces the, uh, uh, the mineral deposits to not stick keeps them liquid or keeps them moving through the water so it doesn't stick to uh, water heaters and, and things of that nature. Um, that said, I don't necessarily think that mineral salt deposits are the reason that your electric coils are burning out. 
every six months. Um, I wonder if uh, you've got a bad batch of coils. Are you buying them all at the same place? I wonder if there's any kind of fluctuation in the voltage of the water heater. There may be another cause for those to burn out so quickly because they certainly shouldn't be doing that. And if you had any kind of like mineral buildup, it's going to be in the bottom of the water heater, not on the coils. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I do have that white calcium. Um, every time I drain the water heater, I have to get um, uh, something to uh, like to scrape out the bottom of the uh, the water heater. Yes, you are right about that. Yes, you are right. So, I, if you use a water softener like Easy Water, I think that that will help. Uh, I'm going to try it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, identity theft is widely known to be a problem, but did you know that your children are also at risk? We're going to give you ways to keep your kids safe after this. It is brought to you by Total Protect Home Warranty. Get total protection against unexpected home repair or replacement costs. Choose from a full line of plans as low as $19.95 a month. For a free quote and to find out if you qualify for a $25 gift card with purchase, call 800-737-1010. That's 800-737-1010. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. You know, identity theft is a growing crime these days, and it's very hard to track. But when a criminal steals the ID of your child, you might not actually realize it until decades later. I mean, imagine having your kid apply for maybe his first car loan and only to learn that there's already 40 grand in debt on his credit. I mean, it really is crazy, and it's just kind of ridiculous to think that this is going on. You know, there are ways that you can prevent child ID theft, and there's also some red flags to watch out for. First of all, if you start getting an earnings report from the Social Security admission for your child... Big red flag. Yeah, seriously, and that kid <laughs> is like four and has never worked a day in their life, that's extremely suspicious. Also, if anyone ever asks for your child's Social Security number... Make sure you ask why. You know, in one case, the leader of a kid's group stole the IDs of several children in his care. And one way to prevent ID theft is to make sure you contact the credit bureaus and put a freeze on your child's credit. This way, it's just not possible to get approved for credit until the freeze is actually lifted. And finally, you want to teach your kid not to carry her social, his or her social security card around. I mean, you know, we still get these cards in the mail and it's something you really have to protect. So don't let them carry it, tuck it away and teach them never, ever to give that information out to anyone unless you are standing right there. Now we've got Jim in North Dakota on the line who is looking to insulate the outside of his home. Tell us what's going on. I'm up there in the cold country. <laughs> and I want to, I'm looking to, this past summer, I put siding on my house and new windows and doors and did all that stuff myself. And then I decided I better, you know, do my basement foundation, especially the, the portion that's exposed. And I was, what I'm thinking of doing is uh, Menard Selvo, I don't know if I'm supposed to say brand names, but Selvo three foot by five foot sheets of uh, styrofoam with, uh, you know, rocks already glued or however they do that on one side. And that's what I was going to use. But I don't know how to attach that to the wall. And then I had a neighbor come over and told me that 
even if I do use that, because uh, I've got about two foot of foundation exposed, so I'd only be going, you know, foot and a half or so under the ground with the rest of that. But a neighbor tried to tell me that if I don't um, go all the way to the bottom of my foundation with foam, that I'll create a hot cold where, where I stop, and he says I'll break my walls doing that. And I'm like, uh, really? Well, Jim, first of all, are these foundation walls exposed on the basement side? Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's. I've got uh, one, two, three windows in there, and that's another thing. I don't know how to trim around them with that that foam stuff. Well, here's what I would do. I would recommend that you insulate the inside of the foundation walls, not the outside of the foundation walls. Typically, when you build a house, you know, and you excavate around the house, you do put a foam insulation around the outside walls. But you know, short of you digging down the footings. Um, I don't think it's worth doing at this point. I would insulate the interior of the walls. There's a wide variety of different types of insulation products. Yes, you can get the kind that attached to the wall. There's also a fiberglass bat that's sort of uh, covered with a, a kind of like a foil vapor barrier that's specifically made for uh, foundation walls. And any of those are, are good options to insulate the interior of the walls. But just as important, if not more important, make sure you have plenty of insulation up in the box beam space, which is the beginning of the floor structure. A lot of folks will insulate walls and leave that uninsulated, and that's actually at more at risk uh, for drafts. So make sure that the box beam area, the sill plate, all that area is sealed and insulated, and insulate. add the additional insulation to the inside of the foundation walls, not the outside. A lot easier to attach that way. If it's the foam, you could attach it with a construction adhesive. If it's the uh, the bats, there's different types of a clip system that comes typically with those. You'd buy it at the same place you got the insulation where it would be clipped into the wall. But I do think it's a good idea for you to insulate those walls. Okay. He told me they do that because that's why he's trying to tell me that's why they insulate the outside of their walls. up. Now, your foundation would only crack if your soil got really wet and it expanded and it, and it cracked the walls. If you have good drainage, then your soil should not crack based on having insulation on one side and not the other. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, what would you do if the fire alarm went off in your house? Does everyone or even anyone in your family know what to do? Probably not. We're going to share some life-saving information after this. You live in a Money Pit. Money Pit is brought to you by Stanley Tools, your trusted name in quality hand tools. To learn more about their complete line of quality tools and everything for your toolbox, visit stanleytools.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone. Give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT. Now, one lucky caller that we talked to on the air this hour is going to get a $50 prize packed from Grease Lightning. Now, this is awesome if you've had a ton of guests staying at your house over the holiday season and maybe you haven't had a chance to give your house a good cleaning. This is the prize pack for you. Now, it's going to include a supply of Greased Lightning Super Strength, which is a really great cleaning product that you can use on carpets, your lawn and pretty much anything that's got grease and grime on it. And you're also going to get some cleaning gear to go along. She'll be totally ready to take on just about anything. You can visit greased-lightning.com for more information or call us right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT for your chance to win. 888-666-3974. Jim and George is on the line with a concrete question. What's going on in your Money Pit? 
Well, I'm trying to find out what you'd recommend for this time of the year. Uh, and uh, time-wise is the thing here, uh, weather too. The area is about, say, 10 feet long. It's that gap in the between the curb uh, where the driveway comes down to the road surface. And then there's about, let's eh, say, six or seven inches of space. And then you hit the, the asphalt for the road. And it's about a two to three inch difference in gapping and height between the road surface and then the driveway. So in other words, when you hit the driveway, you have to dip down first and then drive, you know, bump up into the roadway. So I was trying to get a fill-in of concrete, of some kind of a concrete, sacrete or something, to fill in that area, you know, and kind of make it still where there's a little bit of a ramp to go up into the driveway, but at the same time raise it up high enough so it's not such a big dip between the road surface and the driveway. Jim, how big is the dip in the driveway? Is it more than two inches? Uh, it's Yeah, it's about uh, three inches, and it's about, mm. say, maybe 10 inches, you know, 10 to 12 inches. Wide? Yeah, and then going the, the length of the driveway, the entrance into the, to the driveway itself, that's okay. about the 10 feet long and about, say, 10 to 12 inches wide. Right, right. Well, here's the thing. When you patch concrete, you have to use a concrete that's designed for repair because it has the capability to stick to the old surfaces. Now, I know that Sacrete makes a product that's specifically designed for patches and repairs. They have a fast-setting cement patcher. That, however, is designed for an up to two-inch thick application. I'm not quite sure which product is designed for a thicker application than that, but my caution to you is that whichever product you choose, you have to make sure that it's a patching product because otherwise it's not going to stick. You can't use the same type of concrete that you would typically use when it's a new project like that because if you do that, it won't stick, and especially when it gets wet, it can come apart. Do they have an adhesive that you can add to the uh, concrete or something as you're mixing it to uh, have, an, you know, have a little bit of an advantage when you're mixing uh, something like this? Yeah, that's called a bonding agent. Uh-huh. And I believe that that's something that you can also add as you're mixing the surface, especially if you want to bond new concrete to old concrete. You can use a, a bonding agent to do that. So one way or the other, you either probably have to mix in the bonding agent or if you use a premixed product that's designed for patching, that's the, the type of material that you'll use to fill in that gap. I just want to make sure that you do it once, you do it right, and you don't have to do it again. I would right. take a look at the Sacrete website. It's S-A-K-R-E-T-E. They have bonding and curing agents. They have the patching products right there. Just make sure you choose the right one. Don't buy products that are meant for new construction or a standalone project because it just won't stick. Is there a, a temperature range that, uh, you know, it should be working with or set up in, uh, you know, because here the temperatures are still getting down, uh, you know, below 32 degrees? Every product has its own temperature range that it's designed to work within, and that information will be on the packaging. Okay, and go to that website, and that'll have all the information on the product also. Yep, so just go to the Sacrete website at sacrete.com, S-A-K-R-E-T-E.com. Choose the product you want to work with, and the specs will be right there in terms of what the temperature range is. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Enjoy your show. It's a great show. Well, we really appreciate that, and thanks so much for calling in.
Well, winter is a peak season for home fires. And one critical step to keep your family safe is to come up with a fire escape plan. Unfortunately, the National Fire Protection Association says that only a third of American households have actually developed such a plan. And these plans are exactly what's going to save your life. And it's not really hard to do. What you want to do is make a simple map of your home and highlight all the exits, including the accessible windows. Make sure every member of your family knows at least two of those paths. And this is the most important step. You want to explain to everyone how staying low to the ground is safer. And make sure that the doors are shut behind you as you leave a room. Yeah, and you also have to remember that small children, unfortunately, they've got a tendency to hide from a fire instead of trying to escape from it. They really need some special coaching to get out even if you cannot get to them. You don't want them hiding in a closet. You know, I remember last year with that terrible fire during the holidays in Connecticut, you know, you heard that those girls just ran and hid instead of trying to get out. And unfortunately, that's what cost them their lives. So you really have to teach these kids to just get out, stay low, find a parent, go over this plan and make sure everybody is prepared. Now we've got Bruni in Alaska who's looking for some planting help in Alaska. Some cold plants, I guess. <laughs> Fake ones. Welcome, Bruni. How can we help you? We have a very narrow swath of grass, which is actually just moss and tall weeds. Like, uh, can't quite tell what kind of weed it is. And it, there's no grass growing. It's just moss and it's damp. It's on the north side of a building and it's just at the edge of the deck. So okay. it virtually gets no sun ever. I think it's uh, crab weed, I think it's called, or some kind of a ferocious weed that grows uncontrollably. Okay. So I was wondering if you could make any suggestions what else I could grow there. Well, the key here is to understand what hardiness zone that your area of the country is in. And anybody that lives in Alaska is pretty hardy by my book, but there are actually <laughs> yeah. hardiness zones there. And, and um, taking a look at uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture's site, uh, Leslie, what zone does it look like she's in? It looks like Anchorage is placed in the 3B3A zone, which would put you in the minus 40 to minus 30 degree temperature zone. So that kind of gives you an idea of what hardiness of plant or grass that you would need to sustain, you know, those temperature swings. And if you go to the almanac.com, which is the website for the old farmers almanac, they actually have a guide there that has all of these plants listed by hardiness zone. So there are actually quite a few plants that will survive, believe it or not, in that hardiness zone. And they're all listed there in a directory on the Old Farmer's Almanac. So I think that would be a good source for you. Gives you lots of options on what you can do with that space based on that hardiness zone and, of course, the amount of light. And hopefully we can get something growing there pretty soon. Thank you so much. That would, that's very nice. I appreciate that. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, the simple act of hanging a picture or a mirror can actually quickly turn disastrous if you've got plaster walls. We're going to have some tips that will simplify that project after this. You live in a money pit. The Money Fit is brought to you by Total Protect Home Warranty. Get total protection against unexpected home repair or replacement costs. 
Choose from a full line of plans as low as $19.95 a month. For a free quote and to find out if you qualify for a $25 gift card with purchase, call 800-737-1010. That's 800-737-1010. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, are you one of the 500 million something people using Twitter right now? If so, we invite you to follow the Money Pit. We tweet timely information that can help you take care of your home year round. Plus, you also get to find out about our weekly giveaways way before the rest of the world does. Our handle is simply at Money Pit. So follow us today. All right. And while you're online, you can head on over to the community section of MoneyPit.com and you can post your questions there. And I've got one here from Emmy in New York who wrote, I live in an old home with plaster walls. Join the club, Emmy. I'd like to hang curtains in my living room, but the plaster crumbles every time I try to nail anything into it. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, don't use nails. Yeah, stop nailing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, plaster is closer to sort of a masonry product than it is a wood product in the sense that, you know, its strength becomes disintegrated when you drive nails into it because it doesn't really grab hold of those. So what I think you might want to think about doing is using something called a threaded drywall anchor or a threaded plaster anchor. These basically, you pilot a hole out into the plaster, which means you drill a small hole first with your power drill, and then you thread in the anchor, which has a hole in the middle of it that accepts the screw. They're sold in sets at home centers and hardware stores, and it is a little bit more work than obviously driving a nail in, but it works a whole lot better, and it's going to hold those curtains up for the long haul. So you're looking for threaded anchors. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And you definitely want to use something like that because curtains get a lot of movement. They get a lot of you know use. They're heavy. So you really want to make sure that that curtain rod and those drapes are supported well. All right. Next up, we've got one from George in South Carolina who wrote, my neighbor tells me none of the houses in my neighborhood are anchored to their foundations. Is there a way I can anchor mine that won't cost a fortune? Yeah. I mean, homes that are older typically don't have the same hurricane or storm protection that a newer home would be. And the way the the way a home should be structured is that the whole house should be tied together. So foundation tied to the framing, framing tied to the roof, and so on. You can retrofit your house to do this. You can add braces that, for example, go over the sill plate and down the foundation. Is it a do-it-yourself project? If you're super handy, yes. There's lots of advice on how to do this online, including from sources like FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Um, but it's also a project that you could hire a contractor. In terms of cost, it doesn't have to cost a whole lot of money, um, maybe a couple of thousand dollars if you hire a pro to do it, far less if you do it yourself. All right. And then you don't have to worry about the Wicked Witch of the West knocking your home off the foundation. Well, now that it is super chilly outside and we are here in the midst of winter, do you ever feel like you get a bit of cabin fever? You can fight off the longing for spring by going green. Leslie's got some tips on how to do just that in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. It's true. Green can do wonders for a long winter month trapped indoors. Now, I'm not talking eco-friendly here. I'm talking about literally adding green to your house It can actually make things come alive. You don't need to paint a wall. You just need to add touches. For example, bright green throw pillows. They can be changed out when you want them. They're great for, you know, popping in and out of the season and bringing in some colors. You know, less expensive ideas include green apples in a glass vase. And it actually makes a great centerpiece. 
Now, most grocery stores are going to sell potted herbs for your windowsill. They look pretty and they're delicious. So they're gorgeous and functional at the same time. Grass is also going to grow indoors year round and growing it in small, low vases kind of gives a great modern touch on a coffee table, a windowsill. Again, do a series of them as a centerpiece on a dining table. Now, if you find that your thumb isn't green, try this. Get a bright green candle, pour whole coffee beans into the bottom of a glass vase and then put that candle on top of the beans. You're going to get a vibrant, fun conversation piece, and the whole thing is going to smell just out of this world fantastic. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Coming up next week on the program, have house noises ever kept you up at night? This time of year, it's probably your heat. So we're going to have some tips on how to silence a noisy heating system on the next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a Money Pit. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.